2,000 years ago, our Lord Jesus Christ taught us how we as Christians ought to live. Our Lord never sugarcoats or backs away from tough subjects. Jesus demands unswerving loyalty to Him and to His kingdom standards. He teaches us in Matthew 6, 22-23 how to make right decisions full of wisdom and truth in this dark world. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Well, we were, we're just so grateful to the Lord for his faithfulness and helping us during this difficult time. Uh, I'd like to ask you to do something. Uh, we've got a team here on Sunday morning uh, that makes all this happen. I'd like you to send an email to taryn at crosschurch.ca and just say thank you to all the team, and we'll make sure, she'll make sure that everybody on the team gets that. So again, I want to say thank you for that. And the other thing I want to remind you is that we're going to have communion immediately after the service. Uh, all of you should have received a little communion cup with a wafer. Uh, now would be a good time to make sure that you've got it at your side. And uh, we're going to now go into the message this morning in the Sermon on the Mount. And we've been working on this since last June, and we've got a ways to go before we finish. Somewhere at the end of March is what we're aiming at. Today, I'm going to ask you to get your Bibles out, and we're looking at Matthew chapter 6 verses 19 to 24. I read it to you last week. I'm going to read it to you once again. Because in this passage, we see Jesus teaching on money, and not just money, but also uh, on a worldview, a Christian worldview. How do we live in this world? How do we see this world? It's, a, it's critical that you understand this, because we here in North America, in the West, are wealthy wealthy beyond the imagination of anybody in a third world country. And it's very easy for us to forget that money is not our God. It's very easy to forget that money is not what life is about. So uh, let's take a look at this. Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 19. Jesus says, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them, and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasure in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So we talked about that last week. And now what I want to talk about today is verses 22 to 23. And Jesus says, your eye... Is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one 
and despise the other. Jesus says you cannot love God, you cannot serve God, and be enslaved to money. Now, it's critical that we, we see all these verses together because they're all connected. Some people, when they read verses 20 to, two, to 23, they kind of skip over it because they don't really understand it. Well, we're going to talk about that today, and I can assure you that Jesus has not changed the subject in the middle of his discourse about possessions and money. Jesus is talking here about our worldview, how we see this world, how we interpret this life. He's talking about a Christian worldview. And so he talks about our eye as a lamp that provides light for your body. When I was a young boy, I was, I was always fascinated by people that wore glasses. My dad wore glasses, my sister wore glasses, and I really, really, really wished that I too could wear glasses. I thought the ones that wore glasses were cool, and I just thought they kind of stood out, were special. Uh, I used to put on my dad's glasses, he had not very good eyesight back then, and uh, I put the glasses on, and then I'd walk around looking at the floor, and it always felt like the floor was like a hump, and it was fascinating to me. And what I thought was fascinating was annoying to him. My dad would prefer not to have glasses. And now that I'm a little bit older and have to wear them myself for reading, uh, I can see how absolutely frustrating and annoying they are. Well, my, my grandmother, she, she didn't need glasses except for when she read. And uh, here's what I remember very clearly from my childhood. She, when it came time for her to read something, she was always muttering about the lack of light. It's too dark. She can't see anything. Where are my glasses? Where's my magnifying glass? And it was actually quite comical uh, to listen to her every time she read. And uh, lo and behold, now that I've hit a certain age, I'm kind of in the same boat. I cannot read anything, and I've started muttering myself. Where's my glasses? Turn the light up. It's too dark in here. Uh, where are those confounded glasses? I found myself now stashing glasses everywhere. I've got a pair of glasses in my, well, I've got just behind the platform here. I've got one in my car. I've got them beside my bed. I've got them in the living room, in the kitchen. I've got them stashed everywhere. I've got them, I got a couple pair, three pair, I think, in my in my knapsack. I can't go anywhere without my glasses because without my glasses, I cannot see. I cannot read. When it comes to my Bible here, you might be wondering, well, how come he can read that Bible? Because I've got the biggest font Bible that money can buy. It's the only way that I can survive. Without your eyesight, then you're in serious, serious trouble. So last week, Jesus used the metaphor of of. Uh, of treasure to help us understand where our heart is, what the condition of our heart is. He said, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. And Jesus said, don't lay up treasure here on earth where moth and rust and worm can get at it. Rather, lay up your treasure in heaven. My dad reminded me last week after the message, uh, actually my mother and my father did, reminded me of my uncle who was a missionary in Africa. And he he, in those days, you, you just couldn't access banks like you can today. So what he did when he got to Africa, he brought enough money so that he could buy a return ticket to Canada. And so what he did when he arrived in Africa is he put the cash together, uh, I guess wrapped it all up and then, and, then, and then hid it in the ground or in the wall. I'm not exactly sure where he hid it. 
But when it came time for him to get his money out so they could return to Canada, lo and behold, the worms had gotten at it and eaten all, the, all his money, uh, ate the money that meant that he could return to Canada. And it's an expensive lesson, folks, but isn't that just so perfectly uh, describing what it is that we so foolishly do all the time? We store up treasure on earth, and in fact, I think for most of us, if you've lived for any length of time, you know that you don't own your possessions, your possessions own you. And so what you find is that you have to get security, you've got to pay ADT or whoever it is that you use, you've, you've got to do whatever, whatever it takes to protect your stuff. You've got to get a box at the, at the bank to lock up your, your valuables, you've got to have bank accounts, and on and on it goes. Well, Jesus wants us to understand something today. He wants us to understand what really makes us happy. And he makes it clear to us that owning stuff and having money is not the thing that's going to make us happy. It's not the thing that's going to fulfill the void in our hearts. It might make you happy for a while. But the thing that you need to understand is what really brings satisfaction to your heart is, in fact, living as Jesus calls you to live. And so this is really what this is all about here. This Sermon on the Mount, it's to teach us how to live. It's, it's to teach us how to be happy. And I know that sometimes when we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, it seems like, like a drudgery. It seems so negative. But in fact, it's, it's the source of life. It is life and health for us. So you want to read the scripture. You don't want to just cherry pick the pieces that are, are comforting to you. You want to know the full counsel of the word of God because this counsel of the scripture is what is going to help you have the abundant life that Jesus promises us in John chapter 10. So the proper way then to interpret these verses, let me read them to you again. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. And when your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. So we know that these, that these, these two verses, surrounded by, by, by the verses that they're surrounded by, it tells us that we're talking about money and how we deal with it. So here's what Jesus says here. Let me put this up for you. He says, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. And look at this. He says, when your eye is, is spiritually healthy, your whole body is filled with light. Now, what exactly does that mean? Well, let's break this down for a moment. Your eye is like a lamp. Well, in the, in the previous few verses, Jesus was talking about our heart. Now he's referring to our eye. Jesus, in speaking about our eye, is really, again, talking about our heart, the condition of our heart, what's in our heart, what comes into our heart through our eyes. When he talks about your eyes like a lamp, he's talking about how you see and understand life. For a lot of us, we have our own philosophies, we have our own ideas. If you listen to anybody who's not a Christian, they'll talk about their truth your truth, my truth, their truth. Jesus says, hang on a minute here. There is only one truth. And Jesus said that he is the purveyor of that truth. 
Truth comes to us through Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So those of us who are Christians, we, uh, we're not being judgmental or condemning of those who don't know Christ, but we, as followers of Christ, understand that truth comes from Christ. And so we want to know what Jesus has to say about everything, because it's, it's life through Christ. And because it's life through Christ, it is also therefore light through Christ. Now, because you have eyes, you're able to go just about anywhere and do anything. You can drive a car. You could go, uh, you could go for an excursion through the, through the city at any time. Uh, you can do just about anything and go just about anywhere. You can climb a mountain. You can drive a car. You can navigate busy streets, downtown Winnipeg, downtown Toronto or Vancouver. You can navigate uh, a dangerous jungle. You can even navigate uh, a trip to the North Pole, to the Arctic, if you have eyesight. And if you don't have eyesight, you might be able to do some of those things, but you're going to have to have somebody who has eyesight. You've heard of the expression, the blind leading the blind. Unfortunately, that is how so many of, of the people of this world get around. It's the blind leading the blind. This is why we need a Savior. This is why we need Christ. And this is the gospel. This is the good news about Jesus Christ. He has come that we might have life and have it abundantly. He is the light of the world. We need Christ to help us navigate this life. Otherwise, we are, as people, stumbling around in the dark. We're distressed. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to make it through. And some of you, as you're listening to me right now, you would say, actually, that describes my life right now. I feel very confused about my future. I don't know what the future holds. Uh, I don't know how to navigate tomorrow. Uh, some of you are concerned and worried about tomorrow. Some of you are distressed. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to turn your eyes upon Jesus. There's a beautiful little course we used to sing. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and love. Folks, this is what Jesus is asking us to do. He's asking us to have eyesight that has been touched by God himself. So, if you don't have eyes, you can't navigate this life. I want you to see something here. When it says your eye, when your eye is spiritually healthy, actually in the Greek it says when your eye is single, and the translators have, have rightly translated it as healthy. I've added spiritually because there's a spiritual component to this. We're not talking uh, about a, you know, a, an eye test as in going to the optometrist. We're, we're talking about, um, or the ophthalmologist, we're talking about spiritual eyesight, rightly interpreting and understanding this life. And I want you to see that, what is it? In the King James where it says, when your eye is single, the, the actual Greek, hapalus, actually means uncompounded. I know, we don't say that. It doesn't, we don't speak like that. But actually, if you, it's a literal interpretation of hapalus is uncompounded. Now, the word compound means a thing that is composed of two or more separate elements or it's a mixture is what it is. So what 
what Jesus is saying here, when your eye is not mixed or when it is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. Now the problem with humans is that we tend to be compounded in our thinking, compounded in our understanding and in our sight. In other words, we have a mixture. Folks, we read in verse 24 here, where Jesus says, you can't serve to God. You can't serve money and God. You can't have a mixture. We're talking about a singleness of, of sight. Spiritually healthy means that you are single-minded, that you, your eyesight or your, your, your sight is only for God, that you see only God, you listen only to God, your love is only for God, you do not love money. And sadly, that's how so many of us live. And not just rich people. <laughs> it's people, regardless of what, what your station is in life, what your socioeconomic place is in society. You cannot mix God and money. Jesus makes that clear. You can't love God and be enslaved to money. So you need to have a singleness of, uh, of sight, or as it says here, spiritually healthy. When we have that spiritual health, when our eyesight is what it needs to be, then what happens is, is that we become like Jesus, we become like God. Now there's many Bible scholars who interpret this when your eye is spiritually healthy, to be when your eye is generous. It's, it's actually a very good translation, a very good way of understanding this. The context tells us that we're talking about generous eyesight or a generous worldview, an ability to be generous, to act generously. And we know that this is what Jesus wants because this is what he says in the preceding verses and the verse that follows. Hey, when you want to understand scripture, look at the context. The context will help you interpret that. That is, the, that is step number one in any hermeneutic course. Jesus says you need to lay up your treasure in heaven. And then he says you can't serve, you can't serve God and money. So we're talking about having a generous worldview. This, Jesus says, is the healthy worldview. This is a healthy approach to life. And it makes sense because Jesus calls us to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love others as we love ourselves. So whatever we want for ourselves, we would want that for others as well. This is called a generous worldview or spiritually healthy eyesight. We're seeing as Jesus sees. Now, if you, uh, if you have this, this kind of worldview, this generous worldview, then Jesus is making it clear to us that this is the source of true happiness. This is where you will find true joy and peace. This is how you're gonna have an abundant life. The minute that we start going through difficulties, what's the first thing we wanna do? We start, start looking out for number one. I gotta put myself first. I, have to, I gotta have me time. I gotta provide for myself. I can't think of others right now. I gotta think of myself right now. I'm going through a difficult time. And Jesus says, no, no, no. You need to maintain this generous worldview, even when you're struggling, even when you're going through a difficult time, even if you're out of a job, even if you, you find yourself on hard times. Don't lose this, because if you lose this generous worldview, if you lose this generous approach to life, 
then you will lose your happiness. Plain and simple as that. Being stingy and hanging on to what you have is not the way that you are going to find happiness. You see, when, you're, when your eye is spiritually unhealthy, then what happens now is that you have got a twisted or a perverted eyesight. You can't see properly. And before long, you are living for yourself, you're living for your money, and you're living for your possessions, and that's all that matters to you. I, I constantly hear stories of people who've got great wealth and yet are the loneliest people around because they have forgotten what life is about. Life is about your relationship to God and relationship to others. And if you want to be happy, then you need to give. You need to be generous with others. You cannot put yourself first. If you're going to enjoy your life, then you need to have an abundant mentality, an abundance mentality, where you are giving, where you are sharing, where you're making good decisions based on truth and not on lies. And how many people have gotten themselves into trouble for this? Look at look what Paul says, and we, we told you this last week, 1 Timothy 6.10. Paul is very aware of this, of this proper mindset, this proper generous worldview. He says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money, and some people with spiritually unhealthy eyes, craving, have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. It's interesting that when Adam and Eve were, were in the garden being tested, remember they looked at, it says they looked at the, at the fruit and they found themselves lusting after that. Their eyes were now being twisted and perverted. They're seeing things through twisted eyes. Why? Because selfishness, self-centeredness had taken over their hearts. Anybody who follows God, anybody who is a Christian has eyesight that has been healed by God and now we see through his eyes. But in that moment that Adam and Eve sinned against God, they were craving. Now there was no money then, but there was a commodity and it was that fruit. They wanted it, and they wanted to enjoy the supposed effects of that, of that commodity. And Satan said, when you have that commodity, then you'll be like God. Then you'll be satisfied. Then you'll have everything that you want. And Adam and Eve, in that moment, they believed Satan. They believed that if they got what they wanted, then they would be happy. And you know the story. When they got what they wanted, then all hell broke loose. I'm gonna tell you, that's exactly what happens to you and me. So you and I need to, even when we don't understand it, we need to maintain a generous eye. We need to maintain a generous worldview. Some people craving money, lusting after the, uh, after the fruit, lusting after the money, have wandered from the true faith and have pierced themselves with many sorrows. Is that you today? You know that you uh, are free of the, of the love of money if you are a generous person. And I don't, mind, I don't mean just 
legalistically giving your 10%, but I mean giving above and beyond. This is why I, I don't talk about tithing so much as talk about giving, because it's in giving that we, we defeat that spirit of greed in our hearts. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, this, this, is, this is every one of us and can be any one of us. And for some of us, it's, this really describes who we are and where we're at right now. We've, we've ruined our marriages. We've ruined our, our families. Uh, we've gotten ourselves into serious trouble. We're into serious debt. We can't sleep at nights because we're worried about money. Our whole life has been, has been destroyed because of our bad eye. If you believe that money will make you happy, then Jesus says you have a bad or a wicked eye or an evil eye. Look what he says here. He says, but when your eye is evil, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. I love the way it says it in the Greek. It acts, this last, uh, that last phrase is actually a question. How deep is that darkness? Nobody can tell. Nobody knows where this is going to go. This, this could lead you into all manner of evil, things you can't even imagine. And Jesus is the one that said it. He's the one asking the question. How deep is this darkness? Where is it going to end? Wow. If your eye is bad, if it's evil, if it's wicked, if it's diseased or damaged, no light can enter or little light can enter and the whole body then is filled with darkness in other words you can't do anything remember what i said earlier when your when your eyesight's good you can go anywhere you can do anything the, the sky's the limit but when you can't see you are suddenly seriously hampered you can do nothing and even with the help of others you're still going to struggle if our hearts are burdened with material concerns, then what happens then is that we become blind to the concerns of others. We become blind to the will of God. We don't care about spiritual matters. We don't care about the advancement of God's kingdom. You know, some people say, you know, maybe we shouldn't be talking about money. And I'm saying, yeah, we need to talk about money because the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. We just talked about that. My job as your pastor, as your as your discipler, is to teach you how to deal with your money. Your money needs to be surrendered to God, and you need to understand that you are a steward of what God has entrusted to you. Your job, my job, is to do the will of God with what he has given us. And for some of us, he's given us a lot. Others, he hasn't given us too much. But whatever we have, we give to the Lord and we say, Lord, it's yours. Show me how to use these things. And I'm not going to tell you how to use these things. It's between you and God. We're not, this is, we're not a kind of church that dictates every move you make. No, I'm just going to tell you what you need to do. You need to be in touch with God. You need to be hearing the voice of the Lord, and he'll tell you what to do. I don't need to tell you what to do. And in this case, he says that we have to make sure that our eye is not evil. 
so that our whole body is not filled with darkness, so that our whole life is not filled with darkness, so that our marriage is not filled with darkness, so our family's not filled with darkness, so that our work site, the place where we go to work every day, is not filled with darkness. You know, we make incredibly foolish decisions when we do not have a Christian worldview, a worldview that says we are givers, that we share that we serve others, that we put others first. This is when we get into serious trouble. This is, this is when we, we, we get everything wrong. And then the next thing you know is that you've lost your joy, you've lost your peace. If you lost your joy and peace, that's a, that's a wake-up call. If you're in turmoil in your spirit, if you're feeling darkness and you're not feeling joyful, then that's, that's a wake-up call, that's a sign, it's a red flag, stop what you're doing, Get into the presence of Almighty God and find out where you went wrong and get yourself sorted out. I'm gonna tell you that, that truly the beginning of happiness and joy is that you have this generous worldview where your eyesight is controlled by God and not by your own understanding. I love that, that those Proverbs that say, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, lean not on your own eyesight. In all your ways, acknowledge God and he will, what? He'll direct your paths. He'll show you where to walk. We're reminded in scripture that God's word is a lamp for our feet. We need God to inform and to shape and to make healthy our fallen eyesight. And when you're born again, when you become a Christian, the good news is that God will heal your spiritual eyesight so that you'll begin to see truth and you'll begin to understand truth and you'll begin to be able to make decisions that are wise and godly that will produce for you an abundance of joy and not just an abundance of joy, but an abundance of his provision. It sounds complicated, it's really not. And I'm gonna tell you that it begins by getting into the presence of Almighty God and surrendering your life to him. Now, I just want to point something out to you here. When it talks about the evil eye, this is actually uh, a Hebrew colloquialism. And we find it in, uh, the, through, the, uh, through the Greek Septuagint version of the Old Testament. We find in Deuteronomy 15.9, Proverbs 23.6, and Proverbs 28. 22, it talks about, uh, about the evil eye. In Deuteronomy, the evil eye means hostile. You're not, you're not loving or caring towards your, your, your brother, your neighbor, the one you're supposed to love. In Proverbs 23, 6, the evil eye uh, refers to being selfish. And then in Proverbs 28, 22, when it talks about the evil eye, it talks about being, it means stingy. In the King James Version, I like the way it says it, it says, eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye, neither desire thou his dainty meats. What's, what's he talking about here? Well, we're talking about stinginess. Don't eat the bread of him that is stingy, somebody that has this evil eye. Because that person, their heart is filled with darkness. They will resent you. They will hate you. They will, take, they, will, they will not like you. They will not want to be around you. 
But those of us who have an eye that is spiritually healthy, that have a Christian worldview, we love what God wants us to do, and he wants us to give. A couple of years ago, at one of our, our missions fundraising banquets, I had a millionaire come up to me after, after our banquet, and he was bragging to me that he had sponsored a child. And I said, oh, that's fantastic. So how many children are you sponsoring now? Oh, just the one. It's, it's expensive, you know. I didn't say anything, but in my heart, I felt sad, actually. I felt sad that here's somebody who had the ability to sponsor not one, but dozens of children. And he thought that having one was all that he needed to do. Well, I don't believe this person was, was a born-again believer. I don't believe that he was a Christian. And so I understand why he thought he'd done a great thing. And, and so here's what you and I need to understand, that as Christians, we are what Paul calls hilarious givers. Our giving is, is exorbitant. We love to give. We love to share. And I've been, one of the great joys of my life is knowing people in our church who give a, a huge amounts uh, to Burundi. Um, I, know, uh, I know one that I think has got 21, I think 21 units. In other words, 21 sponsorships every month. And this, these are not rich people. They're not rich by this, by this world standards, but they're certainly rich, spiritually speaking. Folks, we are not like the world. Our eyesight has been transformed by Jesus Christ so that we no longer have this evil eye. We have a godly eyesight, a spiritually healthy eyesight. We understand what God wants us to do. When uh, Jesus says this in Matthew 19, 29, he says, and everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. There are many in this world throughout history who have lost everything for the sake of Christ. They would rather have Jesus than all the wealth of this world. And Jesus says, those of you who have chosen Christ over houses, brothers, sisters, father, mother, children, property, for Christ's sake will receive a hundred times more in return and will inherit eternal life. Now, if you're not born again, this is, just, this is gobbledygook. It's nonsense. This is foolishness. And Paul says that, doesn't he? He says that when you talk, take a look at the truth, it's, it's the truth of Jesus Christ. It's all foolishness to those who are perishing. But for those of us who, whose eyes have been opened, whose hearts have been opened to receive this truth, it are, these are the words of life. And we would lose everything for the sake of Christ. And Jesus says, if this is you, if you're willing to lose it all for my sake, Jesus says, then you have discovered the meaning of life. Because life is about our relationship with God first, and secondly, our relationship to people. We're willing to give and do whatever it takes for the sake of Christ. Who would give it all up? Why would you give it all up? You give it up for Christ's sake, because you know that only in Christ is a true hope, true 
and true life and true happiness. Here's what John, how John describes Jesus. I, I love this description. John is describing Jesus in John chapter one in the first verses, uh, but I want us to look at verses four and five. The word, which is Jesus, gave life to everything that was created. So Jesus then is the source of life. He is the, the origin of life. And look at this, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. This is a wake-up call to you today. Your possessions, the things that you have, your, your wealth, your car, your house, your money in the bank, your retirement funds, if you're a Christian, you say, God, it's yours. Use it however you please. Now, you can't say that unless you're born again. There's no way that you'd be willing to give it up for Christ's sake. But those of us who have surrendered our lives to Christ, we're saying, God, it all belongs to you. And the way that I can surrender it to you is because I have received this light. My eyes were in darkness before I was born again. But once I received Jesus Christ, my eyes were open wide and I began to see. Paul tells us that the God of this world has blinded the eyes of those who are perishing. If you cannot receive this teaching today, then it's probably because you're not converted, you're not born again. It's probably because the light of God's love has not pierced your dark heart. Yes, the sign, the sign that you have a Christian worldview, the sign that, you're, that your eyes are bright and healthy, is that you are a giver, you are generous, you are willing to share whatever you have. Yes, Jesus' life has brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness. We're living in a dark old world, a world that is getting darker and darker by the day, it seems. Hopelessness everywhere. But when we understand that Jesus is the light and that we belong to him, we can rejoice, we can sing, we can whistle a happy tune if that's your thing. But you can rejoice and be glad because you know that you belong to Christ. Without Christ, we're left in utter darkness. We're severely handicapped, twisted, confused, lost. We're left wired mired in the swamp of life. We go from disaster to disaster, from crises to crises. But when we receive that light, we become a generous, giving people. We receive our sight. We can see. I wonder today if that describes you. Because that's what a Christian's supposed to be, a person who has seen the light. I love that old hymn, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. I'm not clear about all the words, but you get the gist. This is what we need. We need our hearts touched by God. We need to have that eyesight from heaven. Let me just close with this. Jesus trying to teach the crowd a lesson about, 
about having this Christian worldview. Eyesight that is healthy and spiritual. He told a story about a rich man. Let me just read it to you. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops, and he said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said, you fool. You will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, Jesus says. A person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. How's your eyesight? Are you generous? Are you a giver? Are you prepared to sponsor one or two or ten children? You can do it. Are you willing to give to advance the kingdom of God? Are you willing to share with those in need? Are you prepared to have people into your home to practice hospitality? Those of you who are not Christians will be angry, furious at me for saying these things. But those of us who love Jesus, those of us who've got eyesight that has been healed by the light of the world, we love to talk about this stuff. We love to to talk about generosity and giving and sharing because that's who we are. This is who we are in Christ. Father, we pray now in Jesus' name that you would heal our eyesight. For some of us, we, are, we have what Jesus described as the evil eye. We're stingy, self-centered, putting ourselves first. God, heal our, our eyesight. Give us a Christian worldview. Lord, strip the blindness from our eyes. We know the God of this world has blinded the eyes of those who are perishing. We want to see and we want to see with the light of Christ. Touch us, we pray. Help us to be generous in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We're going to uh, share communion together and
We uh, want to thank God today for our Savior, Jesus, the light of the world. It's transformed us. Were not for Christ, every one of us would be left helpless and hopeless, mired in the swamp and the clay of sin and self-centeredness. Oh, self-centeredness, stinginess, selfishness. It's so ugly, so horrible. We can't stand ourselves when we're like that, and we certainly don't like to be around people who are like that. But thanks be to God. He sent us a Savior. His name is Jesus. Jesus gave his life for us. Jesus rescued us from our self-centered nature. He rescued us from that, from the evil eye that all of us has until we're born again. We're celebrating Jesus' death at Calvary. It's a sacred time, and I'm going to ask you right now, if you're distracted by anything with your phone or whatever, would you turn it off or turn it over, put it away, and let's, let's just focus for a moment on what Christ has done for us. When he died on that cross, he died for you and for me. He atoned for our sin. To atone means to cover our sin. To atone for our sin means that Jesus Christ has, has paid the debt that we could never pay. Because Jesus died on the cross, he made us one with the Father. He reconciled us to God. We were created in God's image. God who is the great giver, the great and generous God, the loving, compassionate, merciful God, he gave his son so that we could be restored to fellowship with him. The way Adam and Eve were before the fall, they walked with God and fellowshiped and communed with God. And now we're gonna commune with God because Jesus Christ makes it possible. And when we eat the bread and drink the cup, we're reminded that Christ is the one that made it possible for us to be reconciled to God and to be set free from sin, set free from self. Oh, it's a beautiful picture, made one with God. I want to read to you what Paul says about communion in 1 Corinthians 11, looking at verse 23. And Paul says, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took his cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until 
he comes again. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick, and some have even died. Let's pray right now and be sure that our hearts are right with God. And remember, communion is not for perfect people. It's for sinners, sinners who understand their need of Christ, for sinners who are are repentant and asking God for grace. Father, thank you today for your son, Jesus, who has given us eternal life. And every time we eat this bread and drink this cup, we're reminded, oh God, that we belong to you now, that we've been reconciled to you. We're reminded that our sins are washed away. We're reminded, oh God, that we need to stay close to our Savior, to the one who has transformed us, to the one, Father, to whom you are conforming us. And we ask you, God, right now, take us conform us to your son Christ. And we thank you, Lord, for this miracle. We thank you, Lord, that this transformation is possible because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And so we give you thanks, asking you now, Father, to forgive us of our sins. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's uh, take that film off and take the wafer together, shall we? Mm. Father, thank you. Thank you for sending us your son. Thank you, Lord, that he was willing to give his body for us. And we thank you, Father, for this blood, which is the new covenant between you and your people an agreement. Father, right now we confess to you our our utter dependence upon you and our gratitude, Lord, for this new covenant, this new testament. We thank you today, Lord, that we belong to you because of Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you are working in us by your spirit. You're giving us clear eyesight, clear view, spiritually healthy eyes where we can see your will and your purpose. So Father, fill our hearts to overflowing with joy and gladness as we take this second element. Let's take the wine together, shall we? Father, we do thank you again for Christ. As we remember now Christ's death on the cross and the fact that we're restored to you, not because we're good, but because Christ is good and because we put our faith in Christ. Fill us now with joy and peace, a peace that passes all understanding. And we'll be careful to give you the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you today.